Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. Well, it's good to be back with you here today. Since you're listening to this, I guess you didn't give up on me getting a podcast out this week. And to tell the truth, I'm having a hard time getting back in the groove after the past few weeks. You know, after uh, taking almost a week to get my internet connection working again, I left town and spent a few days in the mountains doing some work with our little clan out here. And uh, soon after returning home, my grandchildren and their parents came for a week-long visit. Now, after having so much fun with my children and grandchildren, sitting down in front of a computer for a few hours almost seems like work. But now that I'm here with you in the salon once again, I'm getting my second wind and getting back up to speed. So let's journey back to last week's program where I interview Gene and Myron Stolaroff about some of their experiences in the years past when they were actively engaged in psychedelic research. If you've uh, seen that brilliant one-man show by Spalding Gray that he titled Swimming to Cambodia, you're aware of his concept of having a perfect moment on every trip that he took. Well, what you're about to hear is a conversation I had with Myron later that same day that, for me, was one such perfect moment. The uh, interview that I played in the last program was recorded after lunch and was to have been our last recording session of that visit. But that evening, just as we began discussing dinner preparations, Myron pointed out the beauty of the light on the desert. And uh, at the time, the sun was beginning to set, and while I had the best of intentions of helping Jean and Mary C. prepare our evening meal, I simply didn't have the willpower to leave the beautifully unfolding twilight scene outside. And once the sun had set and the sky turned dark, Myron and I began to talk about all kinds of things. After a while, I asked him if it would be all right for me to turn on my recorder, and uh, he had no objection. But uh, at the time, of course, I was afraid that I hadn't pressed the correct series of buttons to start my mini-disc recording. But there was uh, just something special about that moment of dimming light that would have been lost had I turned on the lights to check out my equipment. But fortunately, the recorder worked. Now, the microphone level, it turned out, was a little too high, and so we also picked up the musical sounds of Gene and Mary C.'s conversation in the background. And while that may take a little away from what Myron is saying every once in a while, I hope it helps you feel like you are sitting right there with him and having a casual conversation in the gentle peace of twilight. I realize that this conversation won't quite translate like that for you, but trust me on this. For me, it was a perfect moment. With your background, you know, you you went to Stanford, you know. Didn't you get your master's and bachelor's there? I got a master's degree there. Yeah, at Stanford, my God, you know. And then you helped develop the video uh, tape system at Ampex. Yeah. I've always wondered, you know, doing, you know, you were really on a fast track there, and oh, how I've did you, been lucky as can be. How did you feel about walking away from all that though to uh, really pursue the expansion of consciousness? And uh, oh, God, after I'd had LSD, I think any, there wasn't anything else that could come anywhere close to it. That was, that was the most remarkable thing of my whole life, and. Uh, <clears throat> Even just the, the very first trial, it was so profound and so opening. And just 
just dimensions of consciousness opened and you think there's nothing else like this anywhere there's anything else you can do to to, to equal that yeah that uh, and, and so there's just no hesitation you knew that was the path that you were oh absolutely from from the day that I took it uh, well you were you were you know like one of the real early pioneers back there that uh uh, did you ever get to meet Huxley or any of those guys? Oh yeah, I, yeah, I, I knew Huxley. I've met him several times. Once he actually visited us uh, when uh, we had this operation going in Menlo Park, and uh, uh, we were getting LSD to people. And one afternoon he he came in. I, well, he had stopped to visit some people at Stanford. Now, Stanford, there was a place I forget what they call it. It was. Uh, I don't know whether Ford's, maybe the Ford people had set it up, but there's the a place. Institute? Yeah, uh, every year they would allow 15, uh, no, 50, 50, 50 people who were uh, busy in management and different things, but they, they could take a one-year sabbatical and uh, they could investigate whatever they wanted, look into things and so on. And So that was all set there. And uh, Huxley had gone over to look that over and then he came to see us uh, and uh, he didn't think very much of the other half, <laughs> to tell you the truth. <laughs> so uh, so he actually did get to see your, uh, your setup and meet with your staff something. yeah yeah so uh, what was he like was he uh, affable oh, or oh oh he's he's very affable you know he's, he's tall and um speaks very well um you know he has trouble with his eyes somewhat uh but uh by and large you know he, he's just a really outstanding person friendly. extraordinarily wise friendly uh well, that's good to hear you yeah know, it really is and so he was, of course, one of the early pioneers back there at the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, uh, do you ever stay connected with any of these uh, other elders of the tribe, so to speak? Are there, are there any left? Are you the last one standing? <laughs> well, you know, after I got acquainted with Hubbard, I was really glued to him for a long time. Uh, uh, you know, he was very smart. He knew how to take advantage of me. At the same time, I was delighted in all the things that he could provide for me. So I just had a ball with him. I was very fond of his wife. Uh, uh, so we were we were we were good friends. I went I went there frequently. At least every year I would go up and uh, visit him there. And a lot of times uh, on the island that he owned. Uh, and then. Uh, but eventually, when he saw that we were really getting started with this, he moved down to Southern California, and I actually hired him. I paid him, I paid him about three, four hundred dollars a month, I think, just uh, as a consultant and to keep everything going and, and to keep him happy. And at the time, I had enough money that it didn't bother me. Uh, you know, you, earlier you were talking about the carbogen in, in uh, your book. Uh, uh, one of your books, you, you called it Maduna's Mixture? Uh, oh, Maduna invented it. Uh, he's the oh, one. so that's the name of the person that... Yeah, uh, yeah. And he was well known. He, uh, uh, he finally had about, I think, 200 uh, doctors who got interested and were, and were using it. 
And it went on for a few years, and then I think it faded out. Uh, Is Hubbard the one that brought it into use in the psychedelic music? Yeah. Yeah. He saw Medina face-to-face, and he saw what it could do, and then uh, he... uh, he had a policy, uh, so he had a really good friend who owned uh, airplanes, and uh, they were business planes of different kinds, and uh, so Al was in close touch with him, and one of the things he would do, he would use that, see, long before I even knew about it, he would uh, use that to make sure that uh, all the pilots were in good shape. And you know if they were kind of getting uneasy or anything, he'd he'd give them that, and and uh, they shaved they shaped up. <laughs> Actually, I was there uh, on on the island uh, one time, and uh, two aviators flew over. I think, I think they came together. They were able to land in the water there, and they both came to Hubbard, and they each took their treatment from him because uh, you know they considered that after the length of time, you know, if they're getting uneasy or nervous or out of sorts or anything, they'd use that to, to kind of clear themselves and get a fresh start. And, and so Hubbard had that pretty well under control. <laughs> now, now, what was the experience like, uh, an acid experience, or what, what was it like when you inhaled that? Oh, gosh, it's hard to, boy, you know, it covers a great amount of stuff. One of the things I used to do, uh, Hubbard just really got a big kick out of this. I go, fuck him. Uh, and, uh, you know, at first I'd be going through all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it really hurt and was miserable, and then all, all of a sudden there'd just be an explosion. I was just letting go of stuff. And then uh, a lot of times I'd feel a lot better after that. Wow. And then uh, I had a very good friend who's a psychiatrist, and, uh, uh, Often I would uh, go and have lunch with him in his home, and he would give me a treatment of that. And he did that. I think he did that for a couple of years. Finally, he said, Martin, you know, we're not getting any place with this. <laughs> now, I was getting all kinds of things. Uh, gosh, I felt like at times that I was the, the wisest man in the world. I just saw practically everything going on. and but a lot of times, you know, I was very uncomfortable because there was places, I guess, I didn't want to attack very well. Uh, but I kept going, and I'd feel very good for several days, and then I began to feel kind of out of it. And I'd go back. I was, I was seeing him once a week wow. in his home. And uh, I think I did it for a year, maybe two mm-hmm. years. This and is then, during Ampex time? Oh uh, yeah. yeah, and they uh, said, "Byron, said you're not really getting anywhere." <laughs> and he was right. Well, fortunately, LSD came along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, you know, what, uh, in in uh, Tantras Eros, uh, you you mentioned that uh, you felt that LSD uh, improved your piano playing ability. Oh, no question. Well, no see, I never even knew you played the piano. That was the biggest surprise, first of all. Yeah, I said one time in particular, uh, I was under, I was under LSD and sat down and played the piano. I played it like I had never played it. Just I didn't know I could play that well. <laughs> 
It was wonderful. Well, you know, it's like that no-hitter that was pitched uh, on acid, the Fame in the World Series, I think. Oh, that, uh, I'm yeah, not that, sure I know that about that. Was, it was well documented that mm. uh, Larson maybe or what. But anyhow, he didn't think he was going to pitch that day, and he took LSD and oh. got called up, and he pitched the only like no-hitter in the World Series or something. <laughs> not like what? The yeah. only no-hitter for many years oh. in the World Series, you know. Mm. So, but, you know, it was on acid, so uh, kind of interesting. And, and he, so his performance... Uh, Greatly enhanced. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, again, that's a physical performance, yeah. as, mm-hmm. whereas piano playing is a combination. Well, I guess mm-hmm. baseball is an art as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, being an engineer myself, I was uh, really, you know, I, I loved it when you were, you said something about... Uh, you, you found that the engineers responded to LSD uh, because they were, like... Uh, Unusually sensitive to, to these substances, and I, I, I found the same about LSD. Is a very, to me, a good engineering kind of deal. You know, makes mm-hmm. you feel secure. Yeah, I had uh, a number of people from Ampex. You know, they knew me well, and uh, and there's one time. <laughs> let's see, I think Hubbard was with us. Yeah, there's one time. Oh, you know, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to work with these guys because uh, I thought they'd all learn more and would be uh, better engineers and everything. And uh, the people at the head of the company, one person just sort of knew that I was doing something with these things, and they they put stop to it. And uh, the people who were running the the company didn't want me to do anything. But to hell with it. I put about, I think I got... Uh, around uh, seven or eight people and uh, with Hubbard we all drove up to somebody's place way up in the mountains and uh, they all took something and uh, for most of them worked out quite well and you know at Menlo Park because I've heard uh, I guess Jim uh, uh, talk about Fadiman Fadiman yeah talk about some of the uh uh, results of the uh, you know, the architects and the people that had breakthroughs and business plans and all, and it, it seems like you had uh, you you were doing things a little different. It seemed to me in that you were looking at the creative end of the, the using it as a tool. Am I incorrect in that? Or? Oh well, I think that's what it is the creative, it's the creative thing, and it's an opener, uh, it's a discoverer. Uh, you know, the people people vary. Uh, I don't. I, I'm trying to think now. I, I don't think uh, of the. I think it was seven or eight people that went, and you know I knew them all well because we worked together at Ampex for years, for several years. Two or three of them were really had really great experiences, and and I don't remember that any of them had a bad experience. So. so uh, yeah, why why do you think so little attention has been paid to all this? You know, pioneering work that was done there. I mean, do you think just just the drug laws made everybody kind of look the other way? Or? Well, you, you know, in terms of our company, the top people in the company already see. I had approached them, and uh, uh, one of the high people with them, they were also connected with uh, with some of the doctors that are exploring LSD, and they didn't know what the hell they were doing. Uh, out of the whole bunch, most of them never, most of them had miserable experiences. There was one guy 
who was really very open and a real wonderful human being. And we became very good friends. But he really, he really saw what it was all about. But a lot of those other people just had very unhappy experiences. They didn't get anywhere. They were psychiatrists. <laughs> but why do you think it is that, that for some people this is like a miracle drug and for others it's uh, something that... that it's because they're not willing to move into uh, the repressed material inside. You see, and uh, a lot of them, you know, they're... Uh, they've raised up to high levels of experience. Uh, you know, they're important people. Uh, uh, people come to them for help and so on, and they think that they know, and uh, but they don't know, and they're too scared. <laughs> I mean, they, a lot of them tried it, and uh, they, they had bad experiences. Wow. So it's just, you know... Now, when I say a lot of them, I'm talking about a particular specific group in Palo Alto uh, where they uh, had finally agreed that they would investigate LSD to a certain extent. And I think I think there maybe were two. There was this one that I'd mentioned and there was one other one that I knew. So I think there were two of them that sort of realized what LSD was but the others would have nothing more to do with it. In some of the uh, experience reports that you have in, in your book, you uh, you talk about uh, you know doing it uh, a new substance or something with a with a single partner, and, but also doing it in groups. That you you seem to have had a lot of uh, experience with several uh, groups, you know, small groups of people getting together. And mm-hmm. the the reason I'm asking the question is that I'm I found that that uh, a lot of uh, the people in the dance community are, are kind of surprised to hear that you can do it in a small group, and uh, they think it's only really for dancing. And so, uh, <laughs> so I, I just wondered if uh, you had anything to say about the uh, how it improves or whatever changes the experience if you're in a, a, a group that has met regularly or, or, or just friends that do it once a year or something get together. Does that enhance the experience if you're considering doing Oh, I think or? so. Uh, we you, you really support each other. See, the uh, while we were doing this, we were doing this with other people. Uh, <clears throat> there was a group, you know, that uh, we didn't want to talk too much about. Uh, but uh, by and large, you know, there's usually seven or eight of us, and we'd be maybe exploring with different substances. And uh, so uh, sometimes it was unusually wonderful. Sometimes it wasn't, wasn't so good. Some of the compounds uh, uh, weren't as interesting. I know one in particular, well, I was really miserable. And... Uh, I had a hard time sleeping that night, and uh, that, that kind of broke through in, in the next morning. And then I think here, uh, on my own, thought I decided to, to redo that because it, it seemed like uh, there ought to be more to it. And uh, so I, I did it alone here, and 
I think I got more benefit from it. But it's uh, it's a little tougher than some of the other things. It's not one you'd want to pick out as yeah. your favorite. <laughs> well, is there one you'd want to pick out as your favorite? Well, I have several favorites. You know, one one of one of my favorites is uh, well, it might have been two C E. What did we? Oh, two C E. We talked yeah. about. That's one yeah. I'm not even familiar with. Yeah, yet. that's a powerful one. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I I I not heard of it until I saw it in your book. So uh, one I it's uh, one I'll have to uh, keep my nose out for, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, oh, you know, could uh, it, since I had the uh, you know the, the pleasure of meeting you and Duncan Blewett, uh, you and, and uh, all at, at the same time, uh, I loved the story about your first meeting with Duncan Blewett, and so I wonder if you just want to say a little bit about you know who he is and. Uh, what his role in this whole thing has been uh, uh, anything you want to say about Duncan well Duncan is, is really a, an outstanding person he's a psychologist and uh, he was teaching at the university uh, in the central part of uh, Canada well let's see let me start with the beginning there uh, Hubbard would come over and uh, the the uh, Older people there, uh, Humphrey Osmond. Anyhow, they they worked together, uh, and uh, with, <clears throat> they were working with LSD, and they didn't really understand it very much until Hubbard came in and uh, and taught them uh, more about it. And then uh, one day Hubbard was visiting them, and they he gave it to uh, to uh, Duncan Blewett. And Duncan was having the time of his life. So he he went in and he got the two guys and come in and says, hey, something's wrong with this guy. What, what, what is it? And Duncan would just laugh and laugh. And they said, well, what's going on? What is it? And the, the more that came out, the more Duncan laughed. He just Because he saw the whole picture, a whole brand new picture. And he thought, how ridiculous all this other stuff is. And <laughs> so that that was really quite something. I got to meet Duncan not too long after that because I was visit, visiting Al quite a bit. And, uh, uh, and uh, by this time... Uh, Duncan and he got to be really good friends, so they'd come over and visit, and I caught up with him several times, and and then Duncan even came all the way down to uh, where we were doing our work in Menlo Park. Oh, wow. So he he was around for a while. A wonder, wonderful human being. So your first meeting, the very first time you met him, uh, in the book you uh, mentioned he was bounding up the stairs with a peyote button in his right, hand. Right, right. <laughs> and then uh, and we all, uh, one of the favorite things that I like to do, you know, he belonged to the, the yacht club. Thank you. And uh, so we were having, we were having dinner and I think Doug passed around some stuff for us to chew. So uh, he had he had some peyote, and uh, he handed me a little, and I chewed it up. And it didn't feel very much, but then after I started getting active, it wasn't very powerful. It was just a small amount. But all of a sudden, everything just felt so smooth and nice, and, and uh, Duncan just felt really felt so great being with him. And that, that, uh, 
And, you know, that I looked around, everything seemed more clear and more beautiful. And just from that little bit, just from that little bit of stuff. So that, that was that was nice. The duck is always pulling tricks like that on me. Thank you. What, 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 uh, you, you always, uh, I assume, use music, because you know, I've known well, you can use music, but what's your favorite kind of music to use in, in some of these, or does it vary with what your expectation is? Well, first, you know, we like to ask people uh, what they liked about music. And then, uh, one of the interesting things, uh, you know, this when we were doing this systematically uh, for three and a half years, uh, but there are a lot of people that uh, don't like classical music, and they only wanted popular music. And then we'd have them in there and uh, say, uh, you know, uh, uh, why don't you just try uh, a little of this music? And they'd say, okay. So we'd play some classical music, and to a person, they came out of there preferring classical music to uh, ordinary music. Wow. <laughs> See, at first, you know, they they didn't they didn't like any, and just they they wanted jazz and stuff like that. But, you know, you've had such a wide variety of, of maybe careers, you know, from engineer to, to psychedelic to explorer, et cetera. Uh, you know, we're we're making this recording to for my my you know the, the people in the psychedelic salon. That, uh, you know, it's, it's people all over the the, the world really. They're you know kind of sitting there, some feeling all alone, like they're the only ones doing this, or they can't talk to anybody. And uh, you know, I think it's, it's important to know that uh, there are a lot of people out there who are interested in this, and that you've been doing this uh, you know, for over half your adult life. Is there anything that you want to give? Encouragement or or reasons why to do this or why not to do this. Well, it's a difficult question, you see, because uh, we're here in the United States and they have outlawed it, mm-hmm. and so you can't do anything without being an outlaw. Right. And so it makes it very difficult. Uh, one of the people that we know was creating new things all the time, and. Uh, we learned a lot from some of those things, but after a while, uh, they shut the whole thing down altogether, and they're really bitter about it, uh, and they don't—they don't understand what it's all about, and uh, they think that they're—they're they're being really proud and uh, working for the government and preventing people from having anything to do with these substances. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Thank God they're wiser in uh, Europe. Uh, there's a lot more going on uh, well, for a long time in England. Uh, I discovered fairly recently that an awful lot of work has continued to go in Holland. They just kept quiet and uh, didn't report anything. All kinds of good stuff is going on there. Uh, People in Switzerland uh, are doing more of this kind of work, a little bit in Germany. Now in Israel, I think uh, Rick Doblin has uh, gone over there quite a bit, and he's encouraged them to get started with MDMA. And so uh, that's that's proceeding. So there, there are breakthroughs, but they're slow, and most of them are distant. And uh, it's just a shame that we can't 
Well, there are a few openings showing up in this country. Uh, there, there are. I think there are three projects that are approved. That uh, well, do you have any regrets about the path you've taken with your life? About what? About the path you've taken about uh, leaving the fast rising engineer track to uh, to the uh, almost outlaw track. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't consider that it's an outlaw track. Plus, the main thing you have to do is, is not get caught. <laughs> so you know, you, go to, you know, you have to plan those things carefully and think about it very carefully, and uh, uh, you know, because uh, it can be in jeopardy. So I do my best to totally avoid all of that. Yeah, just be sensible. You know. mm-hmm. Don't be white. Do you want want to say anything about your, uh, uh, say, relationship with Timothy Leary and your involvement with Timothy Leary, or do you want to leave that one alone? I don't care. Well, I don't mind saying. Uh, <clears throat> Hubbard went and, um, and met uh, Leary, and he liked him a whole lot, and... Uh, he came back, he wanted me to put Leary on our uh, board of directors, and I wasn't about to do it without meeting him. And after a few months, after Hubbard had been over there, he came to the West Coast, and he came to our place, and uh, I got introduced to him, and uh, I found that he's a very winsome per- person. He's a very smooth talker. And uh, uh, I made a a date with him. He was uh, seeing some people in San Francisco. And uh, so he told me to come up and we'd spend more time together. And he gave me the address of of a lady uh, to go to where he was going to see later in the day. (laughs) And uh, I got there... Quite a while, quite a bit before he got there, so I spent some time talking with her. She was a lovely person. She was a nurse, and uh, and he had met her, and uh, and he's a smooth character. And I think he's he's really smooth with women. So the three of us went out for dinner, and uh, uh, we talked till I think close to one o'clock in the morning. And just between us and the girl, she must have been very, very bored. (laughs) But on the other hand, you know, uh, see, I was sitting there with her, and then when he came and knocked on the door, he walked in, he had had a suitcase, and he set it down. It was very clear that he was going to spend the night there. (laughs) So we enjoyed our dinner, and we enjoyed our talking, and she probably was pretty bored by all the stuff we were doing. I don't know. Anyhow, I went home at 1 (laughs) o'clock, and he went back with her. (laughs) And he made it to the board, I guess. (laughs) And he made it to the board, yeah. Uh, I I liked him. And then a whole bunch of stuff happened, and um, they said, look, they don't care the way that uh, they're behaving, and uh, if they're going to be on your board, we're not. We're going to resign. So I actually went out there and... Uh, uh, out to uh, uh, where? Uh, Harvard or Cambridge? Yeah. And uh, uh, Leary was still at Harvard then. Yeah, he was still at Harvard, but the dissension had already gotten uh, risen. And we sat at a big table. I don't know about... 24 people there 
at dinner. And they were they were part of his group. I had heard that you know they were going to release him, and uh, somehow the discussion came up, and I brought it up that uh, when's this going to happen, and and all the other people said, "What what do you mean? This is all a bit bullshit. That isn't true." And I said, Tim, is this true or not that you're going to be released? He hadn't told his own people. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had him caught, and he said, yeah, this, this is going to happen. So that's when they found out. That's, when, that's how they found out. If I hadn't been there, God only knows how much longer it would have taken. <laughs> the next morning, at a, early in the morning, I had to catch a plane. Yeah, and I told him that we had to take him off. Uh, yeah. And uh, and I couldn't help liking the guy, uh, but. Uh, How did he take it when you said you're taking him off the board? Oh, he he understood. Yeah. He understood. After all, <laughs> if they can kick him out, I can kick him out. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, but he's pretty understanding about those things. Did you have any uh, interaction or meeting with him after that, any years later? Uh, Actually, on the way home on the airplane, I realized that I hadn't been real honest with him. And uh, when I got back, I, I I wrote a pretty good letter back to him and pointing out a number of things that uh, were inappropriate and so on. And very important for me to get back and really state my position very clearly. And did, I, did, did, I did that. Did you ever meet him again after that? In person? I don't think I ever yeah. did. How about, how about uh, Dr. Hoffman? I mean, uh, I've, I've seen pictures of you and Dr. Hoffman. So, uh, well, I've been there three times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, did, when, when did, how did you first meet him? And under what circumstances? When? Uh, the first time I met him, uh, Hubbard was visiting him, and uh, some some guys were trying to sell me uh, LSD, and Hubbard wanted me to buy it, and I did. I paid two thousand dollars, some damn thing for it. How much? Huh? How much was? It? How much of it? Oh, uh, it was a it was a bottle full. It wasn't worth anything like that. What I did uh, with Hubbard's instruction, I took it to Switzerland to be analyzed. Mm-hmm. So at uh, New York, I was getting. You have to go through a thing, and uh, Hubbard told me, "Now be sure and tell them that you've got this because you want to bring it back." So I went to these people that they were behind the big thing, and I handed it to them, and I didn't tell them about it, and they dropped it on the floor and splashed all over. Oh, God. But, you know, fortunately there was enough of it in some pieces of glass that I was able to pour it into something so I could still take it. You scraped up this, these drops of LSD and took them to Switzerland? Yes, I managed to do that. And then I turned it over to Hoffman and uh, he went and checked it and he came back and he says it's uh, it's, it's uh, unusable. So, And that was your first meeting with uh, Dr. Hoffman? Yeah, when we had a longer day. First time. Yeah. I think that was the first time. Mm-hmm. Then I saw him several times after yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
and you know, I understand you talk to him uh, somewhat frequently, and so pretty much how, so. How, how is he uh, right now? He's he's approaching 101. He is approaching 101. Uh, he's having a hard time. He still likes to get out and walk, and you know, he has to use things to lean on and. Uh, they have a beautiful home. They're way up on top of a hill. They don't didn't know other uh, uh, houses in sight. The beautiful trees, oh, wow. and uh, he actually looked down into in, into France. Mm. And uh, he loves the outdoors, and he loves getting out and seeing all those things. But how's his attitude? Is he still? Uh... Oh, oh, he's he's, right, he's still very present. Oh, good. Very present, you know. Well, I'm happy to report that Myron told me he spoke with Dr. Hoffman a week or so ago and that he's still going strong at 101. And wouldn't it be a perfect world if the great Dr. Albert Hoffman received his well-deserved Nobel Prize before he died? Well, at least we can still dream about a perfect world. Hopefully it won't take as long for the world to recognize the genius of Hoffman and Schulgen as it did for the Catholic Church to admit that Galileo was right about the Earth going around the sun. But uh, that's another story. I'm really glad now that uh, part of the conversation you just heard was uh, about Duncan Blewett and uh, also that we were able to be talking about him while he was still alive. Because just two weeks ago, I received an email from Wooden Ship, who attached an obituary from a Canadian newspaper telling us of Duncan's passing on to his next big adventure. And uh, although I only got to spend a, a week or so with Duncan and his wonderful wife, June, at a conference in the San Juan Islands a few years ago, it was truly a magical time for me. There's uh, just so much to remember about Dunk, as his friends called him. But the thing I remember best is his smile. In fact, I can't remember ever seeing such a beatific smile as Duncan graced us with all that week. In his uh, autobiographical book, Tantos de Eros, Myron Stolaroff includes a letter that Duncan wrote to Al Hubbard that starts off with the salutation, Hello, you old goat. <laughs> and that was pure Duncan, the elf-like psychologist who contributed so much to our understanding of psychedelic medicines at a time before the fascists shut down all the inquiry into these important evolutionary technologies. If the opportunity ever presents itself, I plan on compiling a few remembrances of Duncan from those who knew him, but for now I'll just pass on a comment that Myron made to me the other day when I phoned and asked him if there was anything he wanted to say to you about his dear friend Dunk. And out of all the stories, books, and papers connected with Duncan Blewett, the one thing Myron thinks is the most important contribution he made is his landmark work titled Handbook for the Therapeutic Use of Lysergic Acid Diethylamide 25 Individual and Group Procedures. Now, whether or not you've ever used LSD, or if you ever intend to try it, this one handbook, according to Myron and almost every other psychedelic researcher I've questioned, is still the single best source of information about the experience and how to manage it, both as a participant and as a sitter. And the complete handbook is available online at arrowid.org, E-R-O-W-I-D.org. And I'll try to remember to put a link to it on the program notes for this podcast. 
Which reminds me that uh, I should probably point out that I've been writing program notes for these podcasts for the last 20 programs or so, and you can find them on our Notes from the Psychedelic Salon blog. And uh, there are links to that blog from several places on our website, and you can also get there directly via www.psychedelicsalon.org. Actually, uh, .com, .net, and .org should all get you there if my redirects are working. And although I haven't had time to go back and prepare detailed notes for some of the past programs, I am very pleased to announce that one of our very own saloners, Bill, who, if I remember correctly, is living in Japan at the moment, has uh, begun working on some of Terrence McKenna's talks and has already sent me some really good detailed program notes for the first two Valley of Novelty podcasts. And I plan on having them posted in the next few days. By the way, uh, for this blog, I'm using the open-source WordPress software, which means that you can also post comments and even original articles on that blog if you want. I'm a little behind in doing this right now, but I do try to send a personal welcome to those of you who have registered to post comments and stories, and I'm hoping that over time that this will become an interactive place for all of us to continue exchanging ideas in cyberdelic space. Well, let's see now. I've fallen so far behind in mentioning some of the items you've been pointing out in your emails, but there are uh, a couple that I need to mention right now, and one came from Rye, who sent a link about the ongoing attacks on Salvia Divinorum in California and other places, and the link he sent was from one of the six or more tribes on tribe.net that are focusing on Salvia Divinorum. So if you are using salvia in your spiritual practice, you might want to uh, pay close attention to some of these goings-on. And I really have to apologize to John, Robert, Michael, Martin, and Kevin, who during the past three weeks have all made donations to help these podcasts stay online, and who I haven't yet had the time to personally write and thank them for their donations. Not only has their generosity ensured that our web hosting fees will continue to be paid, Collectively, they've also made it possible for me to finally get a decent microphone, which I plan on doing in the very near future. Gosh, there there are several other emails I think would be of interest to you, like uh, some of the ideas uh, Lewis and Joanne sent, but since this podcast is already two days late in getting online, I'm going to have to postpone mentioning them until next week. I do want to thank all of you who have written, and I can assure you that your emails are being read as they come in. So, if I haven't mentioned something you brought to my attention, please don't give up on me. My intentions, I assure you, are far better than my follow-through these days. And before I go, I guess I should mention that this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are protected under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 2.5 license. And if you have any questions about that, just click on the link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which you can find at matrixmasters.com slash podcast. And if you still have questions, just send them to lorenzo at matrixmasters.com. I want to thank my friends Jacques Cordell and Wells of Chateau Hayuk for the use of their music here in the salon, and I hope to be able to uh, give you an update on their new CD in a couple weeks after Jacques stops by the salon for a visit. Well, that's it for today, and uh, hey, thanks again for being here. It's, it's always good to be back in the salon with you. And until next week, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. Oh, 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 oh,